Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. If you've been listening the last couple of weeks, you may have been expecting to hear Zach's voice and a distant Jared locked away in his home, stuck on a Discord channel, forced to podcast from home. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's been my life for the past three weeks at home quarantining. But Zach, can I just say how great it is to be sitting across the table from you? Once the face again? you're making at me, I, I don't like it. What? I, I miss distant shirt. <laughs> it's genuine love and appreciation for what we get to do. Is it? Is it creepy? No, 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 no. I'm glad you're back too. I just am questioning all of my facial expressions now. You've forced me into a very you forced me into a very dark place here. No, you're a okay. Well, I'm I'm excited to be back, even though I'm sorry my presence and my facial expressions are making you uncomfortable in our work setting. It's fair. It's fair. Well, to switch gears in what we're talking about today. We are going to be talking about the Vandermiss dossier. Oh. Which if you're sitting there going, I haven't heard of this game. It's because it's not out yet. Unless you live in the Netherlands, then you might have experienced many chapters of this game. Mm -hmm. But for those of us in the English, primarily English-speaking world, this is a game that hits Kickstarter at the end of September. And we're going to have more details about that as the show goes on. Hang on with us. We're coming right back at you. Zach, you never responded to my email about the rally next week. The rally? Yeah, dude, they're trying to tear down the old tree off of Maine. That's a bat-coon habitat. I think you mean raccoon. <laughs> Zach, next thing you know, you'll be calling swargators alligators. Swargators? Bat-coons? Jared, what are you talking about? Dude, everyone knows that the American Society for the Protection of Magical Creatures spends countless hours trying to preserve the habitat of these magical and magnificent creatures. Do you want your kids growing up in a world where there's no lobguins? Do I? Well, that's a fair question. Lobguins are actually very temperamental creatures, but sometimes I can do without them. But what everyone should do is head over to theaspmc.org, that's T-H-E-A-S-P-M-C.org, and sign up to help their investigations. Only you can prevent the extinction of these magical creatures. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. Here in our first segment of the show, we do what we always do. We love to talk about our loves and our room for improvements in every single game that we play. Mm -hmm. But before we do that, Zach, tell us a little bit about this experience for someone who is considering purchasing this on Kickstarter. What kind of game is this? What can you expect from this experience? Yeah, so this is a Netherlands-based game that is uh, being converted into English, which is fantastic. You know, we've been very excited to get our hands on this to kind of try it out. Uh, But what it consists of is that you are trying to find a case of a missing person named Abby Vandermist, if I'm not mistaken. And so you are only given information from a cold case, essentially from a detective as well as her sister. If I remember that correctly, it's her sister who has it. And she gives it to you and she goes, well, I just need help. I, I, I can't get this. There's just so many cryptic things in here. I need you to help me solve this to figure out where my sister is. And then you go right on in. And it's set in the 1970s, if I remember correctly. 
I think uh, at the point that you take place at solving it, it's like the 79, if I remember correctly. It, it's a great game. Definitely a, like a kind of like a mini crime solver, trying to figure out like what happened, where they went, as well as it has a fun answering system in terms of it's asking you two questions and you have to figure out what those questions or you, you get told what those questions are, but it's on you to solve them. It's, you know, where did Abby go? Yes. And then who took her? And it is a very unique format in that there's no envelopes to keep you gated. You open the box and it's all right there. And you Mm -hmm. have instructions about what you need to tackle, but it was really interesting for us that it was all open to us. So many of the other games that we play are well-gated, but they are gated by very obvious things. Mm-hmm. This game did not follow that. But you can expect to play this game, uh, depending on your skill level, from anywhere, and I'd say about 60 to 90 minutes. Yes, and it also kind of reminded me of its format, almost in the same way that a like murder mystery kind of is, even though it's not that format fully. Right. But in terms of that, you're just given a lot of evidence as well as kind of cryptic information on, on you to solve it. And kind of figure out the correct order. And it does have a, a way to tell you how that works. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to jump in first, if you don't mind. Okay. And talking about what we really loved about this game. So before I even get to the first point, I, I have to say I loved this game. It was a blast. Like so much. I didn't know what to expect from it. And just going through it, and even at the end, I was just like, wow. That was, that was so much fun. Mm-hmm. And I think... This may be the longest I've actually thought about why I liked a game in a long time. I I was thinking about it going to sleep that night after we played it. And I just was like, wow, like what what really was engaging? And I I think we're gonna get into some of those mm-hmm. as we get in. But the first thing that I loved about this game, and this is something we're always talking about, is everything in this game was native to the game's narrative. Tell me something. Zach, that stuck out to you that did not fit in this world, in this story, whether it was an item or a puzzle, it felt completely within its realm of immersion. It did. It perfectly fit in. There was never, you know, when we played it and we even have an like, you know, an early version of it, they even make a note about like they want to potentially fix up a few small items. Even then I, we even questioned like what they could fix up. Yeah. Cause it all felt pretty authentic. Definitely felt like that could have been a perfect version. So I'm very intrigued to know what they could do to even make that even better with the items they had in there. Yes. So, and I, and I think it goes back to what I was talking about earlier, like from the box that you get to the fact that you are not gated in a way that so many other games are gated, like the game beautifully hides its gating. It's all right there. Like it's all right there. Like the answers are there right there in front of you. But the way that it moves you through this game was just beautiful. Mm. It was seamless. And the other word that I wrote down in thinking about this is there was just a, it was a very unifying or it had a lot of unity and continuity within the game to where the immersion was driven because everything just fit so well. I, I, I don't know how else to say it. Like I was just taken aback by how well Everything made sense. There wasn't a puzzle that didn't belong in the narrative that fit. It didn't feel like anything was shoehorned into the game. It felt like this could really be a dossier that somebody handed me. Mm-hmm. I would I would believe that. Yeah. And, and part of that is I, I don't want to say because I don't want to ruin the narrative of what's going on. But Correct. 
as you move forward in the story, which is also impressive because again, this is a shorter game mm-hmm. by some of the games that we play. It was it was just kind of magical how it all came together. Also, to be clear, this isn't episodic. This yes. is only the first chapter of that story. Correct. And it it almost it wraps itself up pretty well narratively without telling you what happened, of course. It wraps itself up that it's it's almost a really good just by itself game too. You it didn't feel like I didn't have to play the others, but it intrigued me. Yes. To know where this one ended off and where we're going next. Yeah. And I think this is a great lesson to like lead with a strong game if you're doing something episodic, mm-hmm. because I will I will absolutely want to play the next couple of games that are in this series and anything that follows after it, because I'm fully engaged in the puzzling and the narrative and the linkage between both of those. Mm-hmm. What else did you like, Zach? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of other things we really liked about the game. I think one of the big things is kind of what our second like was the puzzle sequence and flow of the yes. puzzles in this game. Yes. It really went smoothly and never like we talked about earlier. It never felt like we really ever went out of, it never felt like we broke immersion to play a random puzzle in the yes. game. It very clearly narratively made sense. It was good in terms of never felt like we were doing too many of the same type. And in this game, there was really, I don't think it ever repeated the same type of puzzle it felt like they were all unique in their own way and were very enjoyable. It didn't feel like I was like, I jumped out of the game to do a, you know, a crossword puzzle. You know, I clearly was doing things that made me feel like I was trying to solve a, you know, like a 30 year old case, you know, whatever it was, right. It it was very well done and it it was a blast. And then the flow, like, like you said, it didn't feel like we were doing like five long process puzzles and then doing like an aha puzzle and then another three process puzzles. Yes. It was very clearly like good starter puzzle, got a little bit more difficult as the game goes on, but gave a good mix of, okay, we got you moving up. Now we're kind of keeping you there. And then aha, now we're going to raise it again. And then we're going to keep going. And then aha, we're going to raise it again until the end when it completed itself and you had a good time the entire way. Absolutely. And I will say this game has one of my favorite puzzle sequences of any game Hmm. that we've played. There is a set of probably three puzzles that you hit near the end where I was just like, ooh, like that was smooth, diverse, enjoyable. Like, I wish this game, this is funny, I wish this game wasn't a complete package because I would put that puzzle sequence on our wall our wall that we have in our office of all of the fantastic, great looking things and great looking puzzles. But this thing's so nice. It deserves to like stay in its box and stay up on our shelves in the closet. Mm-hmm. But dadgum, it was just good. Yeah. I mean, how, how the flow was so smooth. Like you said, it, it was perfect. It, it transitioned perfectly from puzzle to puzzle because I feel like in some games it, it's very clear when you've stopped puzzle A and you're going to puzzle B. Yeah. It almost breaks it. Even though like some games it like there's not a purpose of that narratively and it's okay because you know that's the style. It almost felt like I got so into it that I wasn't realizing I was transitioning into puzzles. Like it almost just felt so fluid. I was like working on this and then I naturally went into the next puzzle. Right. And and again, I think that goes back to everything in this game was native to its narrative. Mm-hmm. Right? Like there wasn't a place for us to say like after you complete this puzzle, please open this envelope. And and it sounds like I'm hating on that, but what I'm talking about is the difference between something that is common and good and works and something that I really feel like is great and mm-hmm. unique and deserves to be praised amongst other games. Because I feel like sometimes it becomes an issue too that if you try that style of leaving everything open, 
that it's there's too much to interpret. Like the the player just goes wild right. and doesn't really know where to go or what to do cleanly. And this game, I it never at any moment made me feel like I didn't know what I was doing. And it, there was that's the other thing that I want to bring up is, and this is going to go to my third point, which is that I felt like everything was elevated. There wasn't a whole lot in that box, Zach. There's eight puzzles, I believe, in total. Right. Like there's like you open this box that I would say is a little bit bigger compared. And then my first reaction was, oh, like some of this is intriguing, but there doesn't seem to be a whole lot here. But then when you get into it, you're so impressed by how much is done with so little. Mm -hmm. The material is elevated and they're not even done elevating the materials, according to the the note that we got. Like it, it was just good. It was just a really great game. Like, I don't, I don't know how else to say this. Like, I can very easily and with a good conscience say back this on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Like don't, don't hesitate back this on Kickstarter. Would you agree with that? No, I agree. It was just so, so great. Uh, but I want to move in now cause we've doted on this game so much to talk about room for improvements. And I want you, this is going to be a little departure from what we usually do, but I want you to keep what we're about to say in mind as we move to our second section of the podcast. Zach has no idea what I'm talking about right oh, now. No. But keep this in mind. Zach, kick us off with where we felt like there was room for improvement. We're going to talk about the hint system. We thought the hint system as how it works in terms of answering questions as well as presenting it was good. Our only real room for improvement was that it kind of feels like it's just a website that has the answers. And it's and it's okay, but it with how everything else feels so immersive the hint system does not feel that way. Yeah, I agree. They're like two different things. Like the game in the hint system are two different just things that interact with each other. And, and like I said, and the hint system is good. Like it works. It helps answer questions. We look back to see if any, like. Yeah, it's got pictures. It has pictures. It's tiered. It, but it just thematically didn't fit with everything else. So it kind of felt like, you know, and I'm excited because they could do a lot with that is how what they could do to make that feel more immersive or feel like it thematically fits into absolutely Mist. I agree. And I, I feel like there is room to make that fit in the narrative and the story. Uh, but we'll leave that to our creator to see how they will do that. But I totally agree with you. The second thing I would say is there was one small gating issue at the beginning of a game that if you notice it, you puzzle jump. And we did that. We're Snoopy escape room people. We investigate, we look, we pry, we get ourselves into trouble with these things. But I think other people will too. And I think there could be some steps taken at the very beginning on a certain puzzle to make sure that the puzzle flow is followed flawlessly because it wasn't a bad puzzle. It's just that we stumbled on it, solved it, and then solved the puzzle that came before that in the order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, and the thing that's interesting is that, yeah, I mean, Jared will tell you, it's just something that when you play a lot of escape rooms, it's it, like it's just natural. Like, Jared will tell you when I was looking around in the game, I was able to find it very quickly, which was unfortunate because the puzzle that we did was a good puzzle to explain what I had found. Correct. But I, we already knew what to do, and it was kind of just unfortunate. But it at the same time, too, it didn't ruin like the later puzzles because we found that and really in even finding you still wouldn't understand what that really means at first 
but it still, I mean, it is unfortunate. It's kind of a thing that I'm interested to know if other people will find it as easily or if it was kind of like a, because without saying too much, it's pretty hidden, but you could see it potentially. Right, you could find it. Yeah. And that comes with the territory of the game that we talked about it, right? Like there's not things specifically saying stop, don't do this. I'm, yeah. I'm a gated, whatever box envelope. So you have to really work if you're trying to hide things to hide things from people. Mm-hmm. The last thing I would say is it's not really a room for improvement. It's just like who I think this game is before. If I had to say what level of difficulty that this game is at, I would say it's probably like at a medium difficulty. I would play a couple games before allowing somebody to play this game just so that they could really appreciate how great this game is. Mm -hmm. So, and that's just throwing this out there. Like if you're listening and you're a first time player, there's a couple of games that I would say, Hey, play these first. And then in an intermediate game, Vandermist is one of the best games that you can pick up in that range of difficulty. Would you agree with that? No, I agree. And I will say, though, if you do play this as an earlier player, it won't ruin the experience or make it too difficult because I think the game does a good job of keeping you still in line. And there's a good hint system in terms of helping with answers or keeping you in line. But, yeah, I I mean, I agree. I wouldn't recommend someone in their very first time to just play this. No, but it is a game I guarantee recommend you play at some point. Oh, yes. This is if we had a must play list. This This is on it. This is on it. Yeah, this was just far and above one of the best games we've played in a while. And I, yeah, I, I just really, really uh, enjoyed our experience. It was good to actually sit down across from a table face to face after a good long quarantine period and play a game. Mm-hmm. And this was a, a great game to do that with you, sir. Mm-hmm. That's going to wrap us up for our first segment. Puzzles to the people coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. All right, Jared, I got to cut out a little early today. I have an interview. An interview? You didn't tell me about that. Where at? What soup? Oh, nice. I've heard really great things about the soup shed off of I-24. So come on down to the soup shed. No, Jared. Soup is a society for the observation of unknown phenomena. They actually sent me my first case as a test. Take a look at this folder. Why is this folder full of pictures of me? Well, they are all about documenting the weird and bizarre. If you'd like a chance to join Soup, head on over to crackinutmysteries.com. How did they get this picture of me in the shower? Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now in the second section that is Puzzles to the People. In this section, it's a crazy mess, to be honest. Uh, Generally, what we do is this kind of a section that we discuss the topic at hand that kind of goes with the game that we played, which the game that we played was the Vandermist dossier. And then what we've also done before as well is we sometimes take reviews or comments that people leave about the game. We discuss them and see if I agree or disagree with them. I usually answer first and then it's kind of a cool back and forth between me and Jared to see if what we think about it. Absolutely. Zach, I'm going to start this off by telling you a cool story that actually happened today. Okay. Got on my email, saw that I had a Kickstarter update from The Messenger, which if you've listened to our podcast before, is a game that we reviewed. And that was weird to me because usually you don't get a whole lot of Kickstarter updates after a game comes out. But Mark, who we had on the show, one of our creators, Mm -hmm. in this email, he said, hey, I just wanted to update everybody and let everyone know that because of so much community feedback, we've changed our hint system 
into a very in-depth tiered hint system so that people can play this game how they want to be played. That's nice. Yes. And I want to go back to one of our previous episodes because this is feedback that we threw out there. And I don't think the change was made. I'm not egotistical enough to say like, look at the difference we're making out there, Zach. (laughs) Um, But this is honestly a conversation I'd had with a lot of other people that played the game. Yeah. And I just think this is so cool. And I want to give Mark so much praise because the community feels heard. Like me as a small part of the community, I feel heard in so many of the other conversations that we've had with the players. I know they feel heard. This just gets me excited. He also mentioned that they have some other cool projects coming out uh, and some more info coming out, which I want to shout out that as well. But that's what I want to talk about in this middle section is giving feedback to creators. We do it all the time. Right. Our first section and sometimes parts of our second section are all about giving feedback to creators. Now, recently I had a lot of conversations, fun conversations with different creators at Recon. And this was a source of much, uh, for some people, antipathy and for others, a delight. So I want to debrief you and me in this middle section and talk about what are some of the best practices in giving feedback to our community. Because to me, what that note said is creators are listening. They're listening, they care about their games, and they want feedback, whether it's positive or negative feedback from the community. If you are an enthusiast player, a first-time player, how do you go about giving feedback? What would you recommend? It it depends on the, the company, for sure. I think in general... I think one of the best ways you can do it is just email their contact email. I know we've gotten a hold of a lot of creators that way, or like when we talk to them, that's generally one that we go through. Right. And I know that can be a great way because that's usually a direct source to them. And it's probably something they check every day. If not, you know, at least a couple times a week. And that gives you a straight direction. You can kind of introduce yourself that way and then have like a good conversation. Uh, one of the things I think is the best thing to do is to be honest I think sometimes people are scared to hurt people's feelings and, and it's hard because I know like taking criticism for people can be a very difficult thing. I struggle with it. I deal with it a lot. You know, sometimes I can handle it. Okay. Depending on who it is. And some, I can't just because I feel like I disappoint people. If I get criticism, they tell me like it didn't do as well. Right. Whatever yes, it is. Sure. So, and I, and I get it. Cause I know when I've talked to creators, Sometimes that comes up, but I think being honest, because I think one of the things I've heard the most from some creators is that they don't care if it's nice or not, but generally, if you can tell them exactly why you didn't enjoy or that you loved the experience, they will love it way more than just being like, I didn't like this game two out of 10, right? Because that doesn't tell you anything that just tells you didn't like it, which is then disappointing because then you're like, okay, well, what was your actual critique? Like, why did you not like it? Because, you know, Jimmy from North Carolina might have a completely different reason that he doesn't like the game compared to me, right? Correct. And if that person just says, I don't like it, and I say, I don't like it, we could have two completely different reasons why we did not enjoy that game. But if you tell them, like, hey, I did not enjoy this game because of this, or I thought the puzzle diversity could have been more, or the theming of puzzles and how it flowed into the game and narrative could have been better, then they appreciate it. Because, you know, you're clear to them, you're like, you know, I want the game to be just as good. And maybe you're disappointed. That's a okay. But 
I, a lot of the creators we've met, I, I could probably name none that don't love what they do or didn't, you know, or don't love their product. Yes. Right. They all very clearly, every time we've given them feedback, been very clear, like, thank you. Or at least like, we feel like, oh, like, sorry, it might felt harsh. You know, even when we try not to be super harsh, you know, they sometimes are like, no, it's needed. It, you know, it's something that is in common for things to get better. Change has to happen. And you have to be honest with that change or, yes. or what you want for the change. Uh, you hit on one of the big two that I wanted to cover, and it's kind of the philosophy that you and I have for what we're doing, and that is we need to be truthful, which you said honest, another way of saying that, and regardless of whether your feedback is positive or negative, it needs to be kind. Yeah. And going on a rant, angry, whether that's leaving a voicemail, an email, even if the person deserves it, you can give negative feedback kindly Agreed. because you have to ask yourself, what is the goal? Do you just want to be heard or do you really want to offer feedback that can change other people's experiences with the same game? I want to change other people's experiences. I don't do this podcast just to hear my own voice, right? I honestly care about these creators, the games. I want to play more of them. I want the community to grow. So the only way I feel like we can do that is, one, they're not going to listen to us if I'm just putting up fluffy nonsense for an entire episode. And two, why would anybody listen to me if I'm coming at them with either kind of like an egotistical standpoint or a berating like, you did this, 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 and this wrong. It is a relational way of doing things is being honest but kind. I feel like those yeah. are the two big things for us. Would you agree? And for anyone. Oh, agreed. And I think it's something that we had to learn too. And, you know, because I felt like when we started it, and this is my personal opinion, I don't know if Jared feels the exact same way, is I felt like I was too scared to let anyone know that I didn't like something or that I was disappointed in a certain part of the game. So when we talked to creators, I wouldn't say anything. Like I would just say only things I liked. And then it felt like when I'd be on the podcast, we would discuss things I potentially thought could have room for improvement. And then I felt like I kind of lied to the person because I only told them only things I enjoyed and didn't bring up anything I didn't like with the game. And then I kind of realized the more I talked to creators or had these really fun conversations with them, they wanted that. The most important part is giving it the correct way. It's not being rude. It's not presenting it in a crazy, angry manner. It is presenting it in a in a way that is kind and is understanding. It's like a, okay, I, I get that I'm frustrated, but I think you should fix these things so that it lets, like you said, other people enjoy the experience more and have yes. the experience that I wanted. Yes. But for future, you know, groups of people. Absolutely. The other thing that I would say is if you're an individual out there and you're looking to either give praise or offer up some room for improvements like we do is praise publicly, correct privately. Yeah. And here's what I, here's what I mean by that. If you had an awesome time with a game, leave a review. Yeah. Figure out what that company needs, where they want it, Facebook, Google, wherever they can, wherever reviews are left, leave that company a good review and don't just leave a numerical review like five stars say something about it. Yeah. Say something about it. You are going to help that company astronomically by giving your full experience in that game. Get out there, say something publicly. If you have something negative to say about that game, this is what I would say. And this just comes from being a player as well as a business owner. Give that creator the opportunity to make it right before you put them on blast. 
Yeah. Okay. I'm not saying every game should have a five star, 100% review. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is email them, give them a week. If you haven't heard back from them within a week, two weeks, go public with your review, right? Like, and if they come back, but in that week, if they come back at you and say, oh, I'm so sorry, the shipping wasn't there, or yeah, that game mechanic, we've had a lot of feedback. If they're willing to engage you as a player of their game and someone that has spent money on them, give them a little grace before you go out and leave that same harsh review, that same feedback. That's all I'm saying is there needs to be opportunity and conversation when something bad happens before we go out and just start willy-nilly spilling our feelings out there. Because hear me, there are some games out there where th that the creators don't care. Thankfully, I don't feel like we've run into any of those people yet. There is horrible feedback. There are game things that just don't belong in the game. Let them hear about that first. They, they may be totally unaware or things maybe have been totally out of their control. And I feel like we owe them the benefit of the doubt to open up a dialogue with them before we go public with negative feedback. Would you agree with that? Oh, I agree. I, I think giving them a fair chance because I sometimes think patience really plays into it. One of the things that we do in some comparison is that we wait before we discuss an episode. Like we play the game, we discuss it then, and then we wait. Yes. Because sometimes the issue is your emotions will drive everything. If I had a bad time playing a game and I immediately talk about it, my reaction is going to be way worse than if I gave myself a day to think about what I truly liked and disliked about a game. Yes. It's things with, it's literally comparable to a lot of other things in life. If you get upset about something or you have a, an argument with someone, if you're in an upset mood and you immediately start acting on it, it's not going to be good generally. It is the thing of just wait, breathe, and discuss it, and then see where it goes from there. Because like you said, you also will sometimes take the worst of it, and it's not even their fault. And what I mean by that is sometimes, like, we do this to a degree. We might play a game, and we have our experience with it, and then we finish and we go, well, we thought this mechanic was weird, or it felt like it was missing something, right? Or we kind of skipped over something. And then we talk to the creator about it, and then they tell us, like, hey... I think you actually missed this. You should look at this detail. And then we went and go and look back and we're like, oh, I'm stupid, right? I yes. go like, silly me, I was discussing something with Jared and I didn't realize that this totally would have answered my question in that moment. And then I'm the dumb one. It's not on them. It's not their fault that I interpreted it badly. You know, sometimes you can make that argument based on how that's presented. Sure. But in general, giving yourself time to really think about why you liked and disliked things as well as giving people time to respond because, you know, like you said, I, it's their time to respond to it. They created the game. They might have an intent. Like you said, maybe they just didn't realize. And it's a great part. And I think some of the best conversations we've had is with people like that because generally some of the greatest creators I've ever met through all this have been the people that when we talk to them about it, they own up to it. They talk to us. They tell us what we're wrong about. Yes. And, it, and it's a great discussion. Because it's a dialogue. It, I love those conversations because, you know, it sucks when I get told I'm wrong, but I would rather be told I'm wrong and clearly know what their goal was the entire time and that we both knew what the experience was. And then we can move forward and we can have a grand time. Absolutely. And, and that that's a blast for me. Absolutely. The other thing that I would say is, uh, and this is actually uh, from a presentation that I heard at Recon, is offer your feedback, don't offer your solutions. Yeah. So if there is a puzzle that's not working or wasn't up to your personal standard or the game is, 
I would say that creators are so open to hearing what doesn't work, but don't engage yourself now in the creation process. Let the creator recreate, redo what they're doing. Creators oftentimes aren't looking for answers to their problems, right? Now you're Mm -hmm. kind of treading on what they do, right? I don't go to the mechanic and and say to the mechanic, hey, uh, this is what's wrong. This is what I think you should do. And why am I even at the mechanic, right? Like if you're at that point, go be a creator yourself and then offer yourself up to that same process. And and that varies a little bit based on who you are, right? Like if you're a consultant, you're there to talk a little bit more about what's going on. Sure. But always offer what you think is wrong for the game. I would be hesitant to offer your great idea on what is going to fix the game. Also, it's not your place. Not not to be mean to those people, but it, it's not your place. It, it you know if I create something and it's my what I envision it to be, even if it's not perfect, it is mine. And as much as you think your idea will fix it, it might, but it's not your place. It's for me to go. Okay, how do I fix the problem at hand and find my solution that fits? Not yes. you know, like you said, it it, it it's just weird. Like because when you look at it in any other standpoint, imagine someone just walking and telling you what to do when it's clearly your job to do that because you're just like that's not your place, but I I get what you're trying to do, but let me fix the, like, let me find that solution. Absolutely. And, and to reference earlier in our episode, I said, Hey, pay close attention to what we're saying. The two things that we are, we will a hundred percent pass on to the creator of this game. We said, hide the hidden system. And we talked about a particular gating issue that we had. We did not offer how to fix those problems. It's not our place. Right. I'm not going to go to our creator and say, hey, well, I have this really great idea for how you can like create this character and this character could be the hint system. It's not my place. It's 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 Mm -hmm. it's not what not what we're supposed to do. Now, if the creator comes back to you and say, hey, I'm at a loss for how to fix this, that door is open now. Yeah. But at the onset, I know and trust the creator enough and the rest of their game is so awesome that I can't wait to see how these problems get creatively fixed. That's part of it. And we've been talking a lot about feedback. I think one of the greatest things that we can discuss as well is we really enjoy talking about feedback and ways to give it to the creators and kind of the conversation that it is and great ways to do it. One of the things that I think would be great for us too is to get more feedback. I think, you know, we can preach what we want to say, but we also would love to kind of get that back to us. I think some of the greatest things we've had is when creators have came to us and kind of gave us things that we could improve on or what they liked about the show. And it, it's been a really good discussion of being able to have that back and forth between us and the people who listen or the people who create the games, or really just someone that's their first time listening, getting to hear them tell us what they thought. And so we we would love to get feedback from you guys, um, from anyone, if it's a creator or anything like that, because you know, I can list off a name, like a few, like we've had Root. Um, it's been great. He's been one of the people who's talked to us. Uh, Shenandoah was a great person to talk to um, about things that we could have feedback. Angela Lawson Scott. I mean, there's been a lot of really great creators and people and companies that have told us what they genuinely like about our podcast, as well as things that they thought we could maybe change. So we would love for you guys to kind of give us some feedback. You can go to our, you know, our website, which is puzzlingcompany.com, or you can go to our Facebook or Instagram. You can usually find one of us on there and gladly talk to us, and we'd love to hear from you. That's going to wrap us up for this section we call Puzzles to the People. Questions for creators coming at you next. 
There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Dude, I played the best game last night. Um, Jared, I thought we played all our games together. Well, well, traditionally we do, but this game was designed to be played by yourself. It's called Box One, and it's a new game from Neil Patrick Harris and Theory 11. Jared, I'm hurt. What am I supposed to just believe that there's clearly this made-up story of a game that's meant for only one person? And you couldn't even come up with something more clever than just Box One. Okay, you know what? I'm done. Call me when there's a box, too. Well, if you're not salty and you're looking for a truly awesome single-player experience, head to your local Target to pick up Box One. If you don't have or know what Target is, beg Angela Lawson Scott to ship you a copy internationally. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Questions for Creators is where you find yourself now. And we have one of the two creators on this game with us. And we're super excited to get to talk to them. And as always, I don't want to waste a whole lot of time talking about other things. That's what the show is. So, Zach, let's jump right in to getting to know him. So, what is your name? And tell us about yourself and your company. Hi, my name is Ruud, Ruud Kohl. And uh, my company is Diorama. That was previously Puzzle Post. It was a Dutch company. And we're very recently... Uh, branching out internationally. And we've been making, I say we, um, I'll get back to that, but we've been making um, tabletop mystery games for almost five years now. We were the first one in the Netherlands uh, for a while, and we started with our first game, uh, which is the precursor to the Vendemist dossier that you played. And that was first published, I think, at the end of 2016. No, 2017, I think. I don't want to. And that was an amazing project uh, to be a part of. And uh, there was some great reception of that. And it's still, it's always been our bestseller for all these years. And uh, that was the start of a trilogy. Like we made a, sec uh, made a sequel and another sequel that rounded the entire story out, but they're completely separate games. And um, yeah, we've done a couple of other projects here and there, but those are the most important uh, games for us. And we are now uh, gearing up for the international release of this same trilogy, except it's completely redesigned. It's not just like we originally, I thought it was going to be a translation of the game, which I had been putting off for the longest time because there's a lot of language dependent puzzles. So it needed some serious redesigning. Uh, yeah, I finally got around to it. And uh, when I started designing this new version of uh, what's become the Vendemis dossier, like it's a new title because the Dutch title wasn't pronounceable. When I started designing it, I completely fell into this groove where I just completely fell back in love with the game that I'd made four or five years ago and realized that I'd learned so much in, the, in, the, uh, in, in these years. So I changed so much, like a couple of puzzles being completely replaced, two puzzles have been added, uh, the graphics have been completely upgraded, the story has been rewritten, um, and it's so much punchier. Like, uh, I'm, I think I'm getting ahead of myself in this question, but it doesn't matter. Um, uh, Amanda Whitney was involved, and she has been incredible uh, in getting this story to be as powerful as it can be. So yeah, that's... Um, that's what we do. And uh, I'm really looking forward to redesigning the, the sequels already. But, you know, that's for, that's for later. So what inspired you to translate your game? 
And do you feel like the game loses or gains anything from the original version? Well, like I've already kind of let slip, I'm I'm definitely sure that this version is a big improvement over the previous one. And I think that'll be a running theme throughout the interview, but uh, the translation was a real challenge. Uh, first of all, like I said, the, all these language-dependent puzzles had to be redesigned. And, you know, the main text was largely written or edited by uh, a native speaker. But these puzzles, these language-dependent puzzles, I create those. So whenever, like, a, a sentence rolls out of something, um, of course, that has to be good English as well. And um, that's that's all me. But I feel like I've, I was able to do that without it feeling too forced. Um, another thing, like, this game is set in a Dutch village in the 1970s. And it's, it's very, very... Dutch, like without wanting it to get too kitsch, but you know, it's uh, there's a lot of traditional Dutch stuff in there, and for Dutch players, that's all incredibly familiar. Like, there's a, a burnt driver's license in there, and that's exactly the way driver's license used to look, and uh, you know, that 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 kind of stuff. And I feel like international players are losing that familiarity, but instead, you know, get a kind of cozy uh european village vibe that you're not entirely familiar with but you do like you know kind of like the the british detective series that kind of stuff i feel like it gains as much as it loses in that regard but there's a couple of weird things though because the game is in english but it's set in the netherlands and there's always going to be some kind of divide where we have to decide like this is going to be in dutch because it makes sense because it's set in the netherlands and this is going to be in english and you know, so when there's a street named after a famous painter or something, that street's name is going to end in street and not straat. Although, you know, that wouldn't make sense. And I think the most egregious uh, thing of that is that same driver's license, because on the front, it doesn't say driver's license in Dutch. It says driver's license in English. And it says Kingdom of the Netherlands instead of, you know, that same thing in Dutch. Um, in fact, which makes it even weirder for me, because, but I think it's funny, like, the Dutch driver's license, for some reason, used to say Rijbewijs, which is Dutch for driver's license. And underneath that, in tiny letters, it says Permis de conduire, which is driver's license in French. I don't know why it said that, but that's what it said there right now. So now the English version has driver's license in English with underneath that Permis de conduire. And there's no Dutch. It's, it's, it's a weird mix there, but... It, you're supposed to not really realize it too much when you're playing it. And when you do realize it, I try to have fun with it too. Like there's a couple of points in the game where for Dutch players, there will be some ridiculously literal translations. Like, for example, in the newspaper, there's a, a TV schedule for what's on TV that night in the 1970s. And that's actually taken straight from the internet. That Like that's real. That's what was actually on TV back then. Um, but I translated all the titles as literally as I could because it doesn't matter for anyone. And it's just, I was just having fun with it. So there's all these traditional shows that we remember. So in conclusion, I feel like the atmosphere of the game might have changed a little bit from familiar to more, uh, I don't know, uh, whimsical. It's not the right word, I think, but that's, you know, uh, but there's definitely not anything lost. And like I said, um, there's been tons of improvements. Why did you decide to tell your story episodically? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. And it makes sense to ask it now 
But when we first designed these games, we just designed them one at a time. And like I said, they're, they are completely separate games. Like the third, the second and third game are a sequel to this one, and it is a continuing story, but they are supposed to be separate games. Um, and in fact, if the second game ever comes out in English, like you could play that one completely uh, separately without having played the first one. I'm going to make sure that that's the case. So that's first of all. So I don't really see it as an episodic game. I just see it as three games that are, you know, connected. Although now that I'm doing this English version and the trilogy has already been around in Dutch for a long time, I could have chosen to do it all at once. And in fact, I was thinking about doing that for a long time. And there's a couple of reasons why in the end I decided not to go for that. And I think the most honest and practical reason is because I'm doing this basically on my own this year. And I'm not the most savvy entrepreneur. And it kind of feels like a very, very big project to take on. Like I, it's harder to really ga gauge what the Kickstarter funding goal should be when I would be able to deliver um, that kind of stuff. I, I thought I was going to do that. And then I started redesigning this first one, the Vandermist dossier, and I got completely lost in it. I got into this incredible uh, perfectionism mood and I spent months on it instead of the weeks that I planned. And by that time, I realized that this was just going to be a game on its own. So that's the reason. So it's not, it's, it's more thought from my own perspective and from the player's perspective, really. Like I know that it works for the player because it did in the past, but um, the, the most reasons are practical. You don't know this, but we spent the middle section of our show talking about feedback and the best practices for giving feedback. How do you personally change a game based on feedback? Yeah, that's a great question. When designing games like these, especially when you're putting so much work into so many little details, you want to make sure that the core of the game is good. So I have learned by now that you need a lot of testing. And when you feel like you're done testing, you're not really done testing, and you have to do more. Um, so that's one part of it. And of course, I've done that. And I feel like I'm, uh, I can do that. I feel like I can test without uh, making it feel personal. Like when I do a play test, I'm looking for the things that go wrong and it feels good to find them, basically. Um, so I feel like in that sense, you know, I'm not burdened with some kind of uh, pride at that point. You know, I, I know how to take a test. Um, but besides like the fact that this is not the first publication of this game, in fact, uh, there were three print runs in Dutch, I think. And before the first print run, there was like a mini print run of like a 0.5 version that I made by hand. There were 100 games uh, that was kind of a test. And between that first version and the first real version, that was already a big change. Uh, and now I've seen this game played so many times over the years, and I know where the story is going. So I And I had the chance to iterate on it again. Um, and I kind of feel like the, the changes that I made kind of flowed automatically because I had just consumed so much feedback by now that I don't really see it as different points of feedback, but I just have this cloud of ideas of what the game should be. Um, I do have a, maybe a fun anecdote on this topic is the for the, the sequel of this game that was published here in the Netherlands like three or four years ago. Um, that kind of had what people call second system sy syndrome. Like 
uh, an artist's second album is very often not his best because you get overly ambitious and there's these expectations and you want to be quick about it and all this stuff. So my second game initially wasn't all that good, uh, I think, looking back on it. And uh, when it came out and the first reaction started rolling in, I got, that was kind of a shock to me uh, because it had taken me so long to make it. And then I think within like half an hour, I had decided that, you know, that game needed needed a patch. But that's not as easy as easily done as, you know, for an iPhone app. So what I ended up doing is uh, redesigning a couple of the documents and having them printed again, like uh, that cost me a couple thousand euros, I think. And then uh, connecting to all my clients and saying, hey, I have this update pack basically with replacement materials. Uh, you can have it. Let me know. I'll send it to you. And I think I sent out like five or 700 of those. And that cost me a lot of money and a lot of work and I never should have done it, I think. But uh, like that was the way I dealt with feedback at that point. Like I wanted this game to be perfect. It clearly wasn't. And I couldn't just deal with that. I had to fix it at that point. So yeah, I did, by the way, redesign that second game in its second publishing. Like last year when it came out for the second time, I, I, I fixed a lot of things. So I do feel like when I do get around to translating the second and third game, they won't take as long as the first one did because they had already, you know. So that, I think that's a pretty comprehensive answer to your question. So how do you guys decide or choose to fuse your puzzles into your narrative? There's a couple of different things I'd like to say about this. I think, like I had a conversation with a different designer this week about this very subject because this is a question that comes up a lot. Like, where do you start with the story or the puzzles? And I think for a lot of games that make sense, like they will have a theme and they will attach puzzles to it, but that's just not the design principle for this game. Like I wanted it to be like an authentic whole. And a very big part of it, in fact, is coming up with a story concept that uh, really facilitates puzzling. So a lot of the tricks that I used are like, Two people are talking in a code and a third person or they're talking or they have like, I don't know, secret letter and there's a code there and a third person has figured it out and they know what the code is and they decide to tell that to a fourth person through a coded message of their own. You know, in that kind of way, you can layer these things uh, and that kind of feels like contrived. You know, it is a game after all, but at least, you, so um, having, you know, secret organizations or little sisters who have their own secret way of passing notes or any kind of thing like that uh, helps a lot. So it's not really, it's kind of like a false question in my case, like do you start with the story or the puzzles? They have to be one idea from the start, I think. But I think that what you were uh, alluding to in your question, like we, like we said before, um, I do know after designing all these games that where my strengths lie. And I know that my strength isn't with story per se. Like I care a lot about story. Uh, so I won't be happy until it's good. But caring a lot about something isn't the same as being good at it. Like, like I said just now. Um, uh, what I do know I can do pretty well is visual design. Like I know how to make something look pretty. And what I'm also pretty comfortable with is puzzle design. And what I find very hard relative to the, the other two things is the story. Like the, I, feel, I feel like those are the three pillars of the game, like the materials, the puzzles, and the story. And for me, the materials come easiest and the story comes uh, hardest. But 
uh, they do have to come together, especially the puzzles in the story. That's one tr process, getting that together. And when all that is done, that's when I go into Photoshop and, you know, just have a good time <laughs> until it's done. That's also like, um, actually, the last thing I want to say about that is like when I'm writing a story, I find it, or writing a text, I find it very hard to gauge how good it is. I think a lot of authors have this, like you write a story and it's kind of hard to see, like, is this good or not um, for any other reader? And I have that when I write stories, um, though, but when I'm Photoshopping, I can just somehow, I don't have the problem. I can just see, like, I, I like the way this looks. I'm happy with this. I can move on to the next one. And that's, yeah. What is the future of Puzzle Post? Will we get to enjoy more English translations of your other games that are already out? And do you have any other new games that you're thinking about putting out? Anything that you could tell us would be awesome. Uh, well, a lot of it will depend on the success of the Kickstarter, of course. Like, if that doesn't work, it's just, it's, it, it might just end. Um, but, um, yeah, Diorama is uh, our completely new brand, and we wanted to go in a different direction with it. Uh, Puzzle Post is a very descriptive name and it also like it also focused a lot on the on the on the mail part of the you know the post which uh, isn't as important to us anymore as it used to be um, and we want we wanted a, a brand that was a little bit broader like diorama the tagline is stories to explore we want to give you know uh intricate little worlds that you can uh explore the details of and that could be tabletop mystery games or in the further future, it could be anything. Like we just want to make beautiful ways to tell stories. But for now, we don't have any plans other than mystery puzzle games. But still, um, no, the, the, the concrete plans right now are to publish this game and then move on to the sequel as quickly as we, as we can. The design of that is, is ready to go. And... Um, and of course, we'd like to close off the entire series. Um, they are conceptually the same type of game, but they have a very different tone on each and a different focus. Like I kind of feel like, yeah, it doesn't matter. We, we shouldn't focus on the sequels too much, but those are the th things that are coming. And I would, I would think that I should be able to publish both of those in 2022. And then there's another project that I'd love to do. Um, I have... Actually, not only have I hinted about it, at some point I even announced that it was coming, and then I had to uh, roll that back. It's a game called Blazing Trails, and it's uh, also a tabletop mystery game, but it does have an online component. Uh, you know, this, these games don't. Uh, that one does with very rich audio is the idea. And it's about uh, 90s teenage kids on a summer camp in the US, and it's really want to make a story that isn't needlessly complicated but it's very personal and real like we we'd love to have in this medium we'd love to see if it's possible to really make a story that makes you feel basically and uh, of course it's also a mystery game like there's there's a forest fire and there's uh, there's all kinds of stuff but still it's about kids and growing up and, and security and that kind of stuff and it's uh, a very exciting thing about the project is that we have an artist collective uh, here in the Netherlands uh, connected to it. Um, they actually did some art already that we used for the announcement and it looked amazing. And then for a lot of different reasons that I don't think are worth going into right now, we decided to hold off on that project and do this trilogy first. Um, but I would love to do that game. 
So, um, uh, but it's, you know, on the other end, it's okay if it takes a little longer because I'm really excited about this game and the two sequels as well. Like if I'm able to do to the second and the third game, what I was able to do to this first one, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see the result of that basically. <laughs> and we have some other ideas in the works, but, uh, you know, we were a pretty small operation and this is already three projects in uh, forward. So um, <laughs> this will have to do. It's not just English, by the way. Um, at least I'm hoping to do English and Dutch both. That for now, that will also depend on the Kickstarter. Like we work producing in two languages is more expensive, of course. So we'll have a stretch goal that we'll try to put as low as we can to be able to produce the Vendemis dossier in Dutch as well as English. And uh, that will kind of determine the direction for the future projects as well. What are you currently playing? If that's like a video game, another board game, another at-home tabletop, whatever, what are you playing and what would you recommend to us and other people like us? Let's see, there's a couple of things that I'm excited about. Well, let's first mention a couple of things outside this kind of realm. Like I, uh, my main hobby is playing traditional uh, board games. Like I play a lot of board games. And... Um, We've played a lot of Food Chain Magnate recently, which is an incredible game about yeah, a fast food restaurant in the 50s. Uh, and it's incredibly difficult, and I love it so much. Um, and a game called My City, which is much more casual and very nice to play with. You know, uh, I play with my partner, just the two of us. And the nice thing about that game is it starts off really easy, but you play 24 games of it. And as you play along, more rules are introduced. And you get to, you know, you get to stick stickers and tear up stuff uh, like in a legacy game. And it's just very nice. It's a very nice casual game and it doesn't cost a lot. So that's a big uh, recommendation. And besides that, there's a video game that I played this year called Disco Elysium. And it's one of the most beautiful things I ever played. It's um, uh, basically, it's a, you could say it's a point and click adventure with a lot of dialogue. But it's, um, uh, how do I describe this game? Um, it's in a very noir setting, but also like this weird combination of like uh, Polish, Russian, and like uh, Art Nouveau French kind of mixed up in, in a kind of like fantasy setting with also cars and guns and crime. And you're a cop who is a complete mess of a person who doesn't re remember who he is. And he, you know, he burns some bridges and he's trying to solve a crime while also being part of the problem. And it's just, it's just very, very beautiful. So Disco Elysium is a very big uh, recommendation for me if you're into that sort of thing. And then a little bit closer to home, let's see what I've been playing. Uh, we finally got around to Witchery Spell a while back, which, you know, of course, is pretty great. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's, a, that's a very beautiful game. I, I love it a lot. And um, let's see what else we're doing. Fairy Tale Files, which are just great, just awesome from uh, Society of Curiosities. Um, I really, yeah, I'm already looking forward to number three. And um, I had another one. I have another one. Oh, yeah. Uh, There's just one other one that I wanted to mention. It's called uh, The Rotomarai Tragedy. And that's a much more... Uh, you know about that one. Sorry, yeah. Sorry, listeners. You can't, you can't see, Jared. Uh, but I can. But I can. Um, that's, uh, that's also from a Dutch uh, publisher. And that's from the same group of people who are that artist collective that I mentioned before. 
uh, I played their game and loved it so much. Uh, it's actually definitely more of an art project than a game. Uh, there is some deduction in there, but there aren't very many puzzles. But it's just the, the illustrations and the style and the entire thing is just so whimsical and so beautiful. And that's actually what convinced us to con contact them to see if they wanted to work together on Blazing Trails, which isn't coming out for the foreseeable future. But still, The Rod of Mariah Tragedy is a very beautiful game, which I would recommend to anyone. I think that's it. We actually have a secret question for you. We want you to rate my pronunciation of your name. We are trying to get better at saying names that are not native to our own tongue. So I want you to be honest here. Give me a, a between a one and a hundred on our pronunciation. I'm, I'm going to go for it. Okay. Root cool. Oh, wow. The first name is amazing. My first name is very good. Cool was, was, was completely off, but that's actually the easy one. You could fix that. Uh, no, my first name is Ruud. Ruud, oh, you know, it rolled, you know, I actually don't roll my R's that much myself. But yeah, Ruud. And you did that, like, especially the U, which is a vowel that I think English just doesn't use. It's incredible that you were able to reproduce that. Um, and my last name isn't cool. Just like, like you know, like the, the male name, cool. Like, sounds so much like that. Very well done. Very well. Yeah, it's much better than I expected, <laughs> actually. Sorry. Ruth, thanks so much for coming on the show. We just want to say thank you for sending out this game and allowing us to help you get word out there about this game. We think you should back this game. We think that you will enjoy it. And we're so excited to see what else you have coming in the future. If you want to back this game, this game goes live September 28th on Kickstarter. Vandermist dossier is what you need to be looking for. And I'm not sure, Zach, I don't think we have any information correct about the different tiers or anything like that. I yet. don't believe so. Yeah. I don't believe so. But I don't think you can go wrong supporting them. Yeah, you should. You can find more information out about this game if you're in the Netherlands about at puzzlepost.nl. And we'll see what other websites are coming in the futures where we can find it in English. Zach, what can uh, people out there do to help us or even give us feedback? Yeah, so there's a few things you can do. If you've been enjoying our episodes, please leave a review. Uh, you can go to any of our different platforms that we're on. You can leave just a, you know, like a five-star review if you've been really enjoying it. Leave your feedback there. As well as what you can do is you can put us on a regular download. That's a great way to show us that you've been enjoying it as well as just to hear us more and more every week. Uh, you can also go to our website, which is puzzlingcompany.com. We do have a contact section of the website where you can gladly put in an, basically an invoice just saying, hey, we we thought this. You know, this is what we would like to see. Maybe you guys do more. Or, hey, we have a recommendation, whatever. Uh, it's a great way to get a hang of us. Or you can go to our Facebook, which is Puzzling Company, or our Instagram, which is Puzzling Company as well, and get a hold of us there. Well, that's going to wrap us up for this week. Zach, are you aware of what we have going on next week? I am. What do we got going on next week? Next week, we are going to be covering two games from Gruzzle. Oh, Gruzzle. A puzzling company, I'm as not, their subtitle is. I'm not, I, I, yes, say that again. I want everybody to hear that. So their their title is, it's Gruzzle, and then I think their subtitle is A Puzzling Company. Which we love. Which we love, of yes. course. And I, being honest, they existed before us. Oh, absolutely. But we yes. had no idea. Well, I love it, though. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I mean, they're different. I read the box, great. and I was like, yes. <laughs> Personalized, uh, nope, it's not. I'm excited to have them on the show next yeah week. um and the two games that we'll be covering from them is the garden 
as well as the painting. Yes. So be sure to check us out next week. But for Puzzling Company and Jared and Zach, that's going to wrap us up. We'll see you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.